las cadenas de borregos que alimentan a este nuevo sistema de lo correcto algún día darán cuentas a la madre sobre aquellos desagradecidos que pisan su suelo para profanarlo. Libres seremos entonces de nuestra verdad, aquella que los antepasados guardaron en cada uno de sus descendientes. Sus huellas marcarán el camino de libertad. That was Gina Lama in her segment, La Libertad de Mi Pueblo. Stay tuned for more. Our next and last station is San Isidro. La siguiente y última estación, San Isidro. San Isidro is next. Hello, and welcome to the Front Arte y Culturas podcast. In this episode, we'll take a look into Tijuana's vibrant and diverse music scene. We'll listen to our collaborator Gina Lama about the true meaning of liberty for indigenous people, as well as hear of the importance of Friendship Park to our binational community and learn about the efforts to save it. Thanks for joining us.
That was Control Caída by Local Tijuana Group, Parque de Cometas. Welcome to the front Arte Cultura's music segment. My name is Hector Castro, and today we'll be diving into the underground music scene of Tijuana, Baja California, Mexico. Similar to Parque Cometas, Tijuana expands on a diverse DIY music community that expanded through music, arts, and culture. To hear from a direct connection, we met with promoter Jose Mar Gonzalez from Pase Musica to describe those unique qualities the city music holds and what they mean for the city's creative involvement in time. Stay tuned. Let's listen to Jose Mar. The music scene in Tijuana, I would describe it as a very when something's not cohesive or it's not very fluctuate, it fluctuates a lot. No, um, it's. I feel like from the, from since I've been making music and like been actively like putting shows together and actively seeking out artists and going to other people's events, I feel like it fluctuates so much in the type of people that you get, the kind of artists that you get. So I feel like there's so many scenes. I think there's like so many music scenes. I think there should be more collaboration, but I do think that if I would describe it in a way, I'd feel like I would describe it like non-consistent <laughs> and um, and eclectic because there's a lot of different like music scenes for sure, a lot. Tijuana doesn't have like a lot of venues. Um, there isn't a lot of venues if you want to if you want to do a show. So most of the, at least multiple times, I've had to turn a place into a venue. Like I would find the place and then I would have to turn that place into the venue, which means getting the permits for that place, which means a whole other hassle to, to produce at, at that higher level, no? To produce at, at a higher level requires, well, requires more professionalism. The music scene in Tijuana has some really good artists that are like international artists that have like gone out of their way and made it big, you know, um, quite, a, quite a lot. That are still out there making music, you know. That still that still live in Tijuana. Um, I think that the fact that it's like a border city, and that in a way it's like the backyard in a way for like the U.S. Like a lot of yeah, a lot of stuff that happens in Tijuana. All the violence, all of that, that really um, really creates a, a, a an energy, a vibe that people feel. Um, it's not it's not necessarily a good vibe. Like knowing that. Some people live surrounded by violence way more than others, you know? Um, and I think that, like, art, in a way, can be created from chaos. Art can come from chaos. Chaos can come from art both ways. And I think that Tijuana has this crazy chaotic way of being culturally and even the fact, even the way the city functions. Um, I think that chaos cre allows for such intense creativity and things to happen. Um, I think that it's important for people to care and look, and especially from Mexico to the north. It's because it's this midpoint where there's so, so many things that can happen. Like I mentioned earlier, like the flexibility of being caught in between, like there's so much that can be done. Um, and I think that for young creatives, it's a good, like, like playground to go and try out new things, um, to experiment with doing shows with li with little money, well, not a lot of money necessarily. Um, it's a good place to go experiment and try different things. 
Despite Tijuana's music community's resiliency, Josemar expands that newer generations can strengthen the music community in person, regardless of the technological dependency the pandemic had evolved it to today. Tijuana's Tijuana, Mexico is, is also different. Like thinking about like and t- thinking about like the politics and and um, the ethics and the and the fact that people don't a lot of people in Mexico live like day by day, week by week. So when the pandemic hit, like you kind of you couldn't shut the city down. It was practically impossible. The, the the government knew it. Like they knew that they were not gonna be able to like oh people should not be out selling stuff. And what are you, are you gonna tell that to a taquero who like literally like this is his hustle being out in the street selling tacos. So, well, the venues were closed and people wanted like to perform and do shows where people wanted to be out. Nobody wanted to be in home at their home houses. So there was a, the last, like, well, not the last, but one of the, one of the last cool things that was happening during that time were these house shows that were happening at a house in downtown in Tijuana at like this very corner place, which wasn't like hidden from anywhere. Like it was pretty, it was obvious. It wasn't like, they weren't trying to hide. But they were doing a couple of shows there. Those were those were cool. Those were one of the that, those were this last pandemic, and it was it was dope to see people showing up. And, and honestly, it was a punk scene. It was a punk. It was a metalheads, the punks. A lot of bands from LA were coming down. Uh, a friend of mine was living in that house, so I was actively. I must have been there to like six or seven shows, I think, uh, during the pandemic. It was dope. Like I never thought that many people were gonna show up during that that pandemic. I was like, oh, but all these things were crowded, dude. And and I think Tijuana. So this is one thing about the Tijuana scene, like the music scene. There's always been a punk music scene. Always. I feel like it's the only scene that's consistent. There's always been a punk scene. Always since I've known. There's always been a punk scene. Right now there isn't as many bands as there used to be for sure. Playing live at least. There's a lot of people recording from home. And uh, I mean we've been in a pandemic for three years, and I think that. There's a lot of people who turned 18 in those three years, right? So the new the new kids who are like, if you want to call them kids, who are supposed to be actively doing this, they didn't learn how to do it. Like they, well, it's not, it's also like it's not like somebody's out there teaching you, but if you're not seeing somebody actively doing it, yeah, like yeah, somebody somebody doing it, you know, it's um, and they'd be asking like, dude, how do you how do you do this? Like how do you do it? Like very unknown to them, like this like unknown kind of like way of doing things. And I think there's a lot of fear. I think there's a lot of fear from, uh, and I think this is very normal, I guess, in a lot of people, but I feel like with everything that's been going on in the world um, and the way social media has like blasted and the way it's grown, I, people are, I think people are so afraid of failing, especially young kids who like, I remember being young and being so insecure. I can't imagine now with like social media so intense up in everybody's grind. Like people are so afraid of, of like not doing it right or failing that they won't even try, I think. Man, these last few years, people have been so isolated um, because of all these like pandemic restrictions and all that stuff that's been going on that they tightened the rope here and there, then they let it loose again. Um, It seems like it's gonna be a thing uh, like that for a long time. I feel that it's important to have these community spaces where people don't forget what it's like to be around other people. I really truly believe and I've seen it the way people act differently when they're not around other people like and i mean i'm kind of going like in a different direction but i hope this like kind of like brings some light into what i'm trying to say is like this like these younger kids like i mentioned before they're trying to do these shows maybe not trying to do these shows but like they're barely getting to like barely being able to go out and see the world and they just spend their last three years like enclosed in this pandemic and now that they're out in the real world they don't know how to behave in the real world they don't know what it's like to talk to somebody face to face anymore people have not been actively out in the world for the last couple of years and that's just a fact 
people are enclosed and, and I think it's important to community music has always brought community together. Now you'll be listening to Justo a Tiempo by Parque de Cometas from the record Paseo, now available on all streaming platforms. And that concludes the music segment for this episode. Thank you all so much for listening. Till next time.
It's a nice, Thank you for being here. It's a nice way to say it. <laughs> Certain humans don't matter as much as others. <laughs> Horrible. What is their what is their logic that the, the extra 12 feet is going to make a difference? What? Uh, How can they border, justify it? Border security, that, that myth that the border is being overrun by migrants. On Sunday, January 22nd at 11.30 in the morning, I went to Southwest High School here in the San Ysidro area to meet with the organizers of Friends of Friendship Park. This is not the first time, of course, that they've been building walls at Friendship Park. And it's not the first time that the Friends of Friendship Park has had to decide, you know, what our strategy is. What do you do when they're building walls at Friendship Park? For those of you who don't know, Friendship Park, or El Parque de la Amistad, is a bi-national park located six miles west of the San Isidro Port of Entry. It can be accessed from the U.S. through California's Borderfield State Park, or from Mexico through the beautiful Tijuana neighborhood of Playas de Tijuana. For generations, there were no border barriers of any kind at Friendship Park. Old-timers in San Diego remember riding their bicycles across the international boundary to serve and eat tacos in Tijuana, and then returning by the same method at the end of the day. The story goes that in 1971, the surrounding area in the United States was inaugurated by the First Lady, Pat Nixon. On that occasion, Ms. Nixon declared, quote, I hope there won't be a fence here for too long, unquote, and then asked her security detail to cut the barbed wire on the border so she could step into Mexico and greet the adoring crowd. She also announced the intention of the government of both nations to create an international friendship park, modeled after the many such parks on the U.S.-Canada border. This dream has not come to fruition just yet. It remains alive in the hearts and minds of people on both sides of the border, and it can be seen in their campaign called Build That Park. Uh, just one more thing about like the danger, right? So if they put these 30-foot walls up and defaced Friendship Park, uh, the ocean is still there, right? And there's like a, a different beach barrier, and they're not replacing that right now. So even more, it'll push people towards the ocean and towards the mountains and over top, and so it'll become even more dangerous for those trying to cross. And how many of you are familiar with, have seen the news coverage this week and feel like you have a handle on the proposal, the two 30-foot wall proposal? Or let me ask the reverse. Or yeah, no, let me ask, who, who understands the proposal from Border Patrol for two 30-foot walls? Or do we need to... So some don't quite necessarily. So let me offer a quick summary on that, and then we can enter this organizing conversation. The reason I went on Sunday to go talk to the Friends of Friendship Park is because I and many are just in awe of their determination to really go after this just ginormous entity, you know, a giant of institutions, right? They're going after the U.S. federal government. And they're doing this, and they have been doing this since 2006, right? Since the U.S. federal government took land by eminent domain from the state of California to construct this elaborate system of walls across the face of Friendship Park. 
right? This land did not belong to the federal government back then. It belonged to the state of California. But they took it, right, with the guise of security to build these walls, to divide the space, and to really take control over how Mexicans and Americans and migrants communicate and how they greet each other and how they build friendships. This space, since 2011 now, was opened officially, right, by the San Diego Border Patrol officials, but they only opened it for limited hours and only on the weekends. So people were only allowed from either the United States or Mexico to enter between the two border walls and speak to the loved ones through thick metal mesh that now covers the primary wall. Remember that before this, they could just go and enjoy tacos together and ride bicycles and surf. But since the federal government took over, they built walls through the park and they controlled what was basically an effort to build friendship. Today, these activists are facing an even greater threat. The federal government wants to build 30-foot walls in the middle of Friendship Park. 30-foot walls means no friendship can be made. It means no communication can really, truly happen between these two nations. And this was something that was started by the Trump administration, right? We remember that he wanted to build that wall. But it's now continuing with the Biden administration. And this is why these activists are gathered. Here's one of the activists again, explaining the situation on the ground. So the, um, the, this, is, this is a project approved during the Trump administration. The walls were designed during the Trump administration and the funds were allocated by Congress in 2018. And it was that project that brought these two 30-foot walls through the western stretch of the San Diego corridor. So if you go right down Dairy Mart and you're driving west, it turns into Monument Road, all that, that whole stretch is now two 30-foot walls, right? And they got as far as uh, Yogurt Canyon, which is right before Friendship Park. So you know that last canyon is called Yogurt Canyon, and then you have Monument Mesa. Am I being clear? And the two 30-foot walls, that came in all the way to Yogurt Canyon, and they were trying to finish that before uh, the end of the Trump administration. But they didn't, weren't able to complete it. And so the background, this is a little side comment. You know, Trump wanted to say about how many new miles of wall he built, but he was never able to build a lot of new wall. New wall. So instead, the Trump administration went in on what they called replacement projects. They would replace existing walls, and then they would call that, they would count that toward their miles. Am I making sense? So they could say about how many miles they built because they were replacing so much wall. And often, they were often replacing 18-foot wall with 30-foot wall, including sometimes they replaced a wall that was only like two years old. It didn't need to be replaced. They just put it up to 30 feet so they could talk about how much wall they built, right? We have an extra code here for you. Oh, thank you. Yeah, and if you're, thank you, extra code. So just to say that this project was, was underway and they didn't finish it before the Biden administration took office. President Biden froze all border wall construction on his first day in office and mandated a, a border-wide review of all outstanding construction projects. 
Uh, six months into the Biden administration, the Biden administration appro approved its official border uh, wall policy, which is still in place. And that policy says that they don't build new wall, they only replace wall for reasons of public uh, safety, health and safety of agents and the public. That's, that was June of 2021. So just to be clear here, what they're saying is that Trump wanted to build that wall and he couldn't build that wall. So instead, what he, what he and his administration did was that they replaced wall that was no longer working for whatever reason. And instead of putting back 18 foot walls, they put back 30 foot walls. And that extra, you know, 12 feet counted as the miles that he supposedly added to the border. Now Trump couldn't finish this project. And when Biden came in, he paused the project. But now he's restarting the effort, saying that he is also going to be replacing wall, any wall that is for whatever reason harming public health. And he is using the same 30 foot wall tactic that Trump used to create new, taller walls along the border. Then they announced that they were going to begin this project at Friendship Park as a replacement project. So in their, their rationale, they're not building new wall, they're just quote-unquote replacing wall, right? We, Friends of Friendship Park, pushed back and we had a, a sustained campaign that in my mind was very successful. And we got every elected official at Friendship, who has Friendship Park to push back as well. And so the Biden administration chose to freeze that project to allow for further community engagement, stakeholder input. That actually is unprecedented. It's the first time ever, to our knowledge, that the US federal government has announced a construction project of border wall and then uh, frozen it. So it's been frozen for about four months, maybe? Four and a half months. Across the last four and a half months, they've been engaged in this stakeholder process. Many of you have been involved in that, where they're asking input from community members, right? So our Friends of Friendship Park Coalition organized the campaign for this feedback loop, right? This uh, stakeholder process. And if you've been following, you know we have you know hundreds of faith leaders, hundreds of educators, uh, almost 100 medical professionals. 50 allied organizations. Again, every elected official in our government, right up to including Senator Alex Padilla. So if you go up from Friendship Park, talking about elected officials, just if you want to have a frame on it, you know, City Council is uh, Vivian, San Diego City Council is Vivian Moreno. Uh, mayor of San Diego is Todd Gloria. Mayor of Imperial Beach is now Paloma uh, Aguirre. Uh, state um, representative is now David Alvarez. And Nuevo Senador Quienes. There's a new state senator replacing Ben Hueso. Uh, Steve Padilla, I think. Uh, you have San Diego County, Nora Vargas, right? You have member of Congress, Juan Vargas. You have state sen or Senator Alex Padilla and Senator uh, uh, Diane Feinstein. Every single one of those elected officials has said in this feedback process, our pitch was don't build new wall, just repair the walls that are there. So if there are health and safety concerns, right, repair the walls. That's the solution to health and safety concerns. 
so what they've in effect been doing is they've been smuggling in these new 30-foot walls, which is new wall by any measure. Hey, they've been smuggling it in as a replacement project. Does that make sense? That's the way they can get away with saying, and they will probably could stick with that narrative. We're not building new wall, we're just replacing wall. But the proposal on the table is those 30-foot walls you see out to the east, those are the two 30-foot walls that will come in. And the only two concessions, after all this feedback, the only two concessions they made is on the primary wall, so if this is the border, right? And you know, here's, here's Monument Mesa at the center of Friendship Park. And that's, so this is the first wall and this is the second wall. So the two 30-foot walls come all the way in. The 30-foot wall here goes all the way across the Mesa top and then dives down and finishes at the beach. Same footprint. They're sticking with the same footprint, again, to say that they're just replacing. So they're not extending either of these walls. And here on the primary wall, it comes in and then they're gonna dip it to 18 feet for a width of 60 feet, which is the width of that circle around the around the monument. You know what I mean? So a wall that comes in dips to 18 feet and then goes right back up to 30. So that's that that was the quote unquote concession or the design modification they made was to. So our, our pitch is that of the total wall remaining, that's that 60 foot stretch is less than five percent of the total. So basically, all, they're, what they're doing is 96% 30-foot wall and less than, it's actually, it's 2% of the total, but 4% of the width. So anyway, they're basically two 30-foot walls with one tiny, tiny stretch of 18-foot wall. This 30-foot wall out here at the second level, you all know what it's like to, remember what it's like to like walk up that vehicle road onto Monument Mesa or to walk up the beach onto the Mesa? Remember those two 30-foot walls you know, you can't see anything. And if you're at a slight angle, it looks like a solid wall. You know what I mean? If you're looking directly north-south, you can see between the posts, but even from a tiny slight angle, it looks like a solid wall. So basically that means that new people arriving at Friendship Park will experience it as a solid wall, right? They won't be able to see inside. You won't be able to see across to Tijuana. The 30-foot walls uh, obstruct the view. The people on the Mirador in Tijuana won't be able to see the beach in San Diego anymore. People on the U.S. side won't be able to see the beach uh, on the Tijuana side. So really, the two 30-foot walls are effectively obliterating or you know, completely destroying whatever semblance of you know, binationality or binacionalidad que, que existe. Any, so yeah, I just wanted to make sure everybody was aware of kind of the formal construction project and my friends on, we'll introduce ourselves in a minute but anybody want to clarify anything or questions about that yeah and so there the I'm, I'm assuming that their argument for that dip where it goes to 18 is so that they can claim there's no obstruction there can be some sort of like uh binational identity or like a not culture it's not even that sophisticated they just want to be able to say they heard they responded to community feedback um, so we went all this community feedback if they came back without any modifications so this is their grand modification. Uh, that's the only modification that came back? With? That's the only modification. Okay. Nothing for the garden, nothing for uh, picnic areas that well, they suggested, for, nothing? For the garden... Um, At the end of construction, they said that. Yeah, they said that they, they will help the community take the plants out and then put them back in. But they're still going to destroy the garden. Yeah, the yeah, so all but they didn't plant. say for the grassy area in between the fence lines. The, the pathway and the circle uh, footprint to the semicircle remains intact. They did say they would reestablish visiting hours post-construction. 
When's that, that's supposed to end? Sat Saturday, what's that? The construction, August. when is that? August, so they say, their okay. timeline they say is a 30, 30 days to unfreeze the contract and reissue design construction, re reissue design to the contractor. So mid-February they'll begin, they say it's a six month project, and they say post-construction they'll return to the visiting hours, Saturday, Sunday, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. And then they've made a big deal about how they'll return the number of people allowed inside to 25, which they're suggesting is another grand concession. When in fact that was what that just that's what existed until 2017. So from 2011 to 2017, those were the visiting hours, and it was 25 people at a time inside. 2017, they reduced it to 10, and now by putting it back to 25, they're saying that's in response to community feedback, right? But effectively, they're they're returning to the status quo ante of visiting hours no improvements and then they are doing this one 60 foot or one yeah 60 foot long dip in the primary wall those are the only two and i asked the point blank i said is there, is there i don't want to misrepresent i said is there anything else in your designs that reflect the input from the community okay no that's all just make believe yeah. they have not allowed family reunifications they have, all during this time, they have not allowed family reunifications. They have not allowed us to do any maintenance in the garden at all. There, it's just delay after delay tactics. And who made these numbers up? Like who made these num Like who made this up over the community community voice? It's the, 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 the federal government was the end. Yeah, the one who makes this up. So what happens now? This group of community members has been active since 2006, since they first put in. 18 foot walls in the middle of Friendship Park. And they continue to be active. They will continue to fight. And they will do this to demonstrate and solidify the importance of our binational culture in San Diego, in Tijuana, and along the US Mexican border. So the point of nonviolent civil disobedience, it's nonviolent and you're not doing anything to, uh, 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 you're not the aggressor. You are the, but, and then the civil disobedience is you are breaking a law, for instance, by trespassing. But you're breaking that law with the willingness to take on the punish, the penalty of breaking the law. Because again, you're trying to highlight the injustice of the law. So you're not trespassing and then saying, I didn't, I didn't mean to trespass, or you're not trespassing and then saying, well, I don't wanna, I, I wanna get out of it. You're trespassing and saying, I'm willing to take the, you would go to before a judge, for instance, and you would say, you would pr confess guilty. You know you're guilty of breaking the law. Am I making sense? Yep. And you are saying that in, you're trying to, again, to elevate and dramatize the, the injustice of the system. So it's unjust laws, that, and unjust actions by the federal government, and it is not animus or hatred toward the individuals, right? So we don't have, I hope that you, I can speak for all of us, but I'll speak for myself. I don't have any animus or hatred toward the individual Border Patrol agents or the people I've been talking for months now with people very high up in the Department of Homeland Security, and I don't, 
that my animus, my frustration is not with them as individuals. They are in a lar very large bureaucracy, in a very large system, right? And they, they are trapped in some ways as much as, you know, anybody in the system, right? So I just wanted to make clear that kind of precedent and the philosophy behind the Friends of Friendship Park dating back to 2007 or so, more than 15 years, and why we are talking now about taking the next step, which would be potentially to trespass on federal property. Yeah, Dan. To learn more about Friends of Friendship Park or this amazing group of activists who continue to this day to fight for our binational culture, visit friendshippark.org. Hola, ¿qué tal? Les habla Gina Dalila Almaraz Muñoz, perteneciente a la comunidad indígena Cumiay de la Huerta, Ensenada, Baja California, actualmente. Hoy les traigo un tema a que precisamente este mes cumplo un año desde que realicé eh, una pintura para una plataforma que se llama Desinformémonos, hablando sobre las 13 semillas zapatistas del movimiento zapatista liberal para los pueblos originarios y pueblos de indígenas en general. ¿no? Bueno, eh, me dijeron que realizara una obra que tuviera que ver con libertad, ¿no? que cómo vemos este, los pueblos indígenas la libertad. Para eso tengo varios, varias amistades en diferentes partes, diferentes comunidades, aquí en Baja California, en California, con toda la relación que tenemos nosotros los pueblos este, en este territorio, ya que además de que eh, la frontera nos dividió, dividió familias, eh, aún tratamos de mantener una, una conexión, ¿no? Y pregunté a algunos conocidos, a algunos amigos, ¿qué significaba la libertad para ellos? Algunos de ellos, pues su libertad era eh, en la actualidad, ¿no? Dependiendo de de qué leyes los dejaban ser libres, de qué este, hablaban sobre temas este, que ya son actuales. ¿no? También cabe mencionar que cuando hablamos de los pueblos indígenas siempre hablamos eh, en el tiempo pasado, como si los indígenas no existieran. ¿no? Eh, somos nosotros los descendientes de aquellos pobladores que subsistieron en, esta, en ese vasto territorio por miles de años y aún seguimos en ese territorio, pero pues hemos estado avanzando y cambiando conforme el tiempo. ¿no? Además de eso, pues tuve una, un pensamiento acerca de lo que realmente significa libertad para los pueblos indígenas. Para ello escribí esto quiero que escuchen conmigo. La libertad de mi pueblo. La libertad de mi pueblo vive manteniendo la memoria y enseñanza de nuestros antepasados. Nacimos de la semilla de la tierra, crecimos cobijados bajo un cielo estrellado. El viento acompaña el aliento de nuestros antepasados con el mensaje de cuidar lo que estaba bajo la mano de la humanidad. Valor y respeto a la hermosa madre crecían en cada corazón de cada pueblo. Pero no éramos perfectos 
a los ojos de los nuevos prejuicios y reclamos para aquellos que viven de la prohibición y el sometimiento. Pronto vino a corromper la esencia de los que por años entendieron la encomienda de nuestra existencia. Las hojas de nuestro árbol ancestral fueron cortadas y quemadas para borrar nuestra historia, pero las raíces aún se mantienen bajo el manto del oculto y sobreviven entre los incrédulos. Las cadenas de borregos que alimentan a este nuevo sistema de lo correcto algún día darán cuentas a la madre sobre aquellos desagradecidos que pisan su suelo para profanarlo. Libres seremos entonces de nuestra verdad, aquella que los antepasados guardaron en cada uno de sus descendientes. Sus huellas marcarán el camino de libertad. Con esto más que nada hay todo un proceso histórico del cual nos permite a nosotros hablar sobre nuestra, nuestra libertad. Lo cual me llevó a pensar y a platicar sobre esto que la libertad de los pueblos indígenas antes era inherente, o sea, ni siquiera existió un concepto de libertad hasta que no tuvimos libertad. Era un momento donde todo era de todos, este, se, había otro sistema, otras, otros, otra cultura, creencias, otra manera de vivir en el, en el territorio, el cual no, nosotros no reconocíamos nada como como poseer algo, ¿no? como poseer la tierra, poseer un, el terreno. Eh, en los Comiay, bueno, en, en específico en mi comunidad, se habla de que si a ti te gustaba vivir en una parte de la comunidad, pues luego te puedes mover a otra parte y no pasa nada, ¿no? Eso antes. Después del periodo colonial fue cuando todo eso fue cambiando, ¿no? La manera en que este, también las religiones han influido en nuestras creencias, en el que ya después todo lo que era realizar una ceremonia hacia la naturaleza, hacia, hacia nuestro Dios, nuestro Creador, eran ceremonias paganas, ¿no? que a final de cuentas lo tuvieron que hacer de manera escondida y poco a poco fueron matando nuestra cultura, han ido matando nuestra cultura y nos han dejado lo poco que se puede ahorita rescatar, ¿no? En su totalidad, pues muchos de nuestros conocimientos se han perdido, muchos también se han, se han heredado de generación en generación, pero pues ya no va a volver a ser lo mismo que fue hace, hace miles de años, ¿no? Principalmente porque vivimos en un sistema diferente, ¿no? Ya es este... Eh, yo sí le llamo el, el, un sistema que fue traído de Europa, ¿no? Y, y lo hemos adoptado y en general en el mundo hoy en la actualidad así es sin embargo hay cosas que, que podrían ser permitidas aún y que nos podrían servir a nosotros para que continuemos preservando nuestras costumbres y culturas pero ya no tenemos esa libertad ¿no? la libertad la tenemos este, siempre y cuando cumplamos con algunos reglamentos cosas que, que para algunas este, comunidades no lo son ¿no? algunos países no lo son, como por ejemplo ya no tenemos la libertad de, de pasar la frontera porque hay una frontera y hay dos países que pasan por encima de nuestro territorio, eh, son temas importantes.
Hay algunas comunidades que tienen la costumbre de incinerar los cuerpos también en, el, en la hora del fallecimiento de una de las, de las personas de las comunidades. Sin embargo, algunos estados de la República no dejan que esto permita. Aquí en Baja California no se permite que los cuerpos se incineren ¿no? tradicionalmente porque en Baja California aún no se reconocen a los pueblos en su totalidad indígenas. Sí, de, en una manera de que se escuchan y hablan y la cuestión cultural, pero no en la, en la legalidad. ¿no? Eh, y nada más en México se nos avala con dos artículos de la Constitución, totalmente diferentes Estados Unidos también. Y, este, y son muy generales, lo cual pues no permite que nosotros este, tengamos una libertad, ¿no? volviendo a este tema. Hablamos también de que los sistemas educativos cambian, las lenguas indígenas ya no son tan utilizadas por el hecho de que ahorita el, lo normal es hablar español porque pues así se habla en el país, e inglés porque así se habla en el otro país. Entonces la cultura se va dejando poco a poco, ¿no? Porque vamos, este, estamos en la actualidad y en la actualidad no, no cabe el pasado, no caben los pueblos indígenas de hace miles de años. La única manera en la que podemos caber en la actualidad es en el folclore, en las artesanías, en la venta, en el turismo, y eso no es preservar la cultura, eso no es la preservación de la cultura. La cultura se vive se manifiesta y claro que, te, que tenemos como esta mezcla eh, de ya de lo mexicano, de lo este un poco de lo es, europeo, ¿no? de lo colonial y aún tenemos este costumbres atraídas de hace miles de años, la manera en que comemos, este algunas costumbres, cantos, danzas, pero ya no en su originalidad. Y así es como ha surgido el tema de libertad eh, después de tantos años, ¿no? Ahorita ya la libertad la vemos en las leyes, en que podemos realizar una cosa, pero mientras no hagamos el daño a terceros, eh, si no, pues podemos ir a, a prisión, ¿no? Eh, claro que no digo que debería ser como antes, sin embargo, creo que... A final de cuentas, todos estos sistemas de, de hace años siempre se implementaron para acabar con los indígenas, para acabar con nuestra forma de vida y para obtener lo que son los territorios y recursos de nuestros pueblos. Porque así lo, ha, así lo es, ese es el resultado de la actualidad. Las reservaciones indígenas en Estados Unidos son mínimas. Ahorita ya hay ayuda de casinos, pero el territorio está perdido, la, la cultura no se preserva igual. Los niños eh, ya no les interesa preservar la cultura de la misma manera. ¿Por qué? Porque hay, hay cosas más interesantes como el internet, los videojuegos, cosas que ya no, no, quieren, ver en, no quieren ver hacia el pasado. ¿no? Ya cuando hay la suficiente madurez y ves eh, que tu cultura puede morir en cualquier momento, si no la valoras si no aprendes de ella, es preocupación para algunos y para otros es, es algo que va a pasar en algún momento. Nada más algunos, compartiendo algunos pensamientos de esta joven este, que ojalá hay, hagan ruido y que puedan ustedes compartir más y sepan más acerca de, de que estamos aquí, que existimos, que aún no nos hemos, no hemos desaparecido en nuestra totalidad y que algunos de nosotros seguimos luchando por mantener nuestra forma de vida. Les agradezco su tiempo. Gracias.
The front is an active art gallery, arts educational space, concert, and meeting venue. Run by Casa Familiar at the heart of San Isidro, California, it stands just one mile away from the international border of San Diego and Tijuana, Mexico. 